Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm seeing red on the screen, but I need to see some green at some point. But uh, let's talk to a professional who does this stuff for a living, Natalie Wolfson. CEO at Asset Mark. Natalie, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here. I'd love to get your thought here as we kind of put a bow on uh, 2022. What do we do for 2023? Because I got crushed in my equities. I got crushed in my bonds. I have a big barrel of oil in my uh, house, so I'm okay there. But what do you do? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, as a result of sort of of the Fed's um, really relentless tightening in the second half of this year, there are actually interesting opportunities right now in short-term treasuries. Ah. Uh, if you want to build a short-term treasury portfolio with a duration of you know roughly half a year, you can get 4.6 percent in yield. And so yeah. right now, I think all of us, whether you're a CEO looking to manage your cost structure or an investor looking into next year, feeling a little. Uh, risk averse and maybe like we want to wait and see and so that's a, a good way to do that but is that i mean i heard the same thing from my financial advisor recently is that the only thing out there i mean are there do you have some riskier ideas that maybe higher return because 4.6 is great especially if it's completely risk-free i love it <laughs> and so short um but what else you know, it's it's interesting. Um, clearly, there's a lot you know uh, going on right now in the alternative side of the arena. So, if you look at some of the investments that private equity is making right now, if you're willing to hold it for the long term, um, that's clearly a part of the market that has historically done well in, in markets like this, where things are a little uh, volatile on the public side. So, I would absolutely uh, absolutely look there. Um, in addition to that, you know, if you're willing to take a little risk uh, in the first year post a bear market in that first year, 50% of the total bear returns, it's actually 48%, but roughly 50% of the total bear returns on average happen in that first year. So legging into equities, even if you want to do it in a passive way, um, as long as you're willing to, to stay the course, if things get a little worse from here, uh, you won't miss that first year, which is really important. Natalie, are you, you're based in California? I am. What are you doing in New York then? I am here for a board meeting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just want to check, you know, people coming in, the tourists are coming back big time, Matt. I was kind of out and about Midtown yesterday and they are out. I mean, every language on the planet's being spoken here. Uh, you know. This is the last place I'd want to be right now. 
Why not? The weather is awful. Oh, please, it's fine. Still very it's dirty. New York. I'd rather be no, in California. No, it's fine. It's the greatest city in the world. Talk to us about Asset Mark. I mean, you work with independent advisors. What are they seeing? Are they seeing money come their way? What do you guys Asset Mark? Where, where do you add value? How do you try to help your clients? Asimark uh, helps our clients by helping them compete at any size. And so we provide outsourced investment services, technology, and uh, support, the support an entrepreneur needs to run a thriving business uh, for our advisors. And as a result, advisors who use us have on average about 14 points more operating leverage than their competition, if you look at publicly available data, Um, which is great because advisors can use that 14 points to invest in areas that are really important to their clients, which helps them grow. So in Advisor groups, are they leaving the Merrill Lynch platforms, the Smith Barney platforms and all that and kind of going out on their own? Is that still a trend? Yes, uh, the move to independence is still a trend. In addition, uh, advisors um, often they start, they get their uh, CFA or CFP certification and they start and they wanna be an entrepreneur and serve clients in their local community. I have uh, one advisor who uh, decided that she wanted to move away um, from, uh, that he, I'm sorry, wanted to move away from the auto manufacturing industry and become an advisor and now he serves clients uh, in that industry because no one understands it better than him. Interesting. What, what do you think about value stocks right now? I see First Eagle on your resume. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, First Eagle, I clearly value is uh, near and dear <laughs> to my heart. And, um, I, you know, I always love value stocks. It, you know, it's important to understand the companies you're investing in. And at the heart of the matter, that's value. So I like that right now. How do you define value? Do you go to the, the, the typical price earnings, price the book? How, I mean, how do you think of value? Because I guess value is a relative term for a lot of people. Yeah, so for me, it's definitely more price to book and then looking at sales, um, making sure you really understand what's driving sales and what's driving revenue growth. Are there um, tools, newer tools? I'm thinking about ETFs, but maybe there's something else that you think are trending up for for the right reasons right now? Um, So one thing that I think is really important is personalization is finally coming to investing. And so I'm a really big believer in direct indexing as being uh, a trend that's going to stay with us. Um, And the reason for that is I think in in every part of investors' lives, they're able to personalize what they do. Uh, Why not with their investments? You know, if you're you're feeling uh, that you don't want to invest in a particular part of the market because of a value you have or you really want to double down on that part of market, you should be able to do it and still have a portfolio that um, has... um, uh, return characteristics that um, you're comfortable with. Direct indexing, you can basically build your own index, right? You can right. take someone else's index and say um, you don't want uh, Google or yep. Facebook in your S&P. You can just pull them out and have the rest of the S&P 500. Um, I mean, you can do anything you want, right? That's right. And you can pull them out and then you can put something in that has a similar return characteristic or you can uh, double weight something that has a similar return characteristic. So you still have, um, you know, on paper, roughly the performance of the S&P. Not as a retail investor, but this is something that the advisors uh, with whom you work can do and that offer their clients? Uh, both, actually. Advisors with whom I work can help uh, retail investors build the index that's perfect for them. Oh. And it's extremely important for an investor to understand, you know, tracking error and concepts that yep. might not be immediately evident. Um, but also, investors can do it directly using uh, several retail platforms. All right, good stuff. Cool. Natalie Wolfson, CEO of Asset Mark, joining us live here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in from California. Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade. <laughs> 
to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Marijuana stocks are tumbling today after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell criticized attempts to add a marijuana banking bill to the National Defense Authorization Act. So we said, let's talk about the cannabis biz. What uh, does Mitch McConnell have against weed? Uh, he just doesn't look like a weed-friendly dude when you look at him. You know, so I, it doesn't Kentucky, really surprise right? me. True. They grow some of the best weed in the whole country there. <laughs> Absolutely. Some good bourbon, too. Uh, Josh Joseph joins us. He's the CEO and founder of Big Plan Holdings. Josh, thanks so much for joining us here. I'd love for you to give us just kind of a lay of the land. What do you guys do at Big Plan Holdings? I don't believe Josh is there. I don't believe Josh is there. Somebody's got to push, like, the button that brings Josh back. But so Til I'm looking at Tilray. The stock is off today. That's, like, one of the big weed companies um, Josh Joseph, CEO and founder of Big Plan Holdings. You there, my friend? Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Absolutely. We're just talking right. cannabis here. We'd love to get a sense of what you guys at Big Plan Holdings are up to these days. All right. Uh, today, guys, much appreciated. And, um, yeah, to jump into uh, Big Plan Holdings and, uh, you know, what we're, uh, what we're all about is uh, – a family office uh, diversified in many different investment verticals, uh, you know, with one of our primary focals, uh, focal points, certainly based in the cannabis and, uh, and CBD industries um, coming out of, uh, you know, a great deal of experience in cannabis since 2014. So you've been uh, what you uh, did you start off in real estate and then get into weed real estate and then go to big yeah. plant holdings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my quick professional track, and I'll give you you, you guys a, an abbreviated version of that is uh, have, have specialized in commercial real estate around the country, uh, probably for about twenty six or twenty seven years. Uh, all facets of real estate, from uh, you know development to straight up ownership of existing assets to a lot of bankruptcy and distressed real estate sales and uh, transacted in, you know, probably 40 or 45 states around the country. So I've, I've uh, had a, a very, very fortunate run in the commercial real estate sector that that then evolved into jumping into the state of Illinois 
uh, their cannabis program in 2014 as an applicant uh, and successfully securing seven of the initial 50 medical retail dispensary licenses, um, nice. which also cannabis also has a very, very big overlap within real estate as well. You can't have a dispensary or a grow facility or extraction or manufacturing facility or anything without real estate. So they really did go hand in hand. But, What's the uh, infrastructure look like, Josh, um, in terms of the grow? I mean, Humboldt County is so famous in California. I know um, Athens, Ohio, and we were just talking about Kentucky, um, you know, used to grow some pretty good weed when I was in high school. So what's it look like now? Where, where, where is, uh, where are the best operations? You know, the, you know, this, this has become a real big business. You know, when, when I got involved in 2014, 2015, it was, um, it was still really an incubator in a very, very immature industry. You fast forward to 2022, uh, this industry, the cannabis industry as a whole is, um, dramatically different, dramatically more mature, still has a significant amount of runway to it, I think, in many, many respects. Uh, but, you know, what you're seeing now is you're seeing the technology, you're seeing real R&D, you're seeing real science take place with the larger with the larger cannabis operators around, um, you know, whether they be the public companies, whether they be the private companies that remain um, yet to go public or yet to sell to larger, larger operators. Uh, you know, again, guys, remember, you know, the, the, the whole cannabis industry, we can talk about this for hours, but, you know, it violates federal law still yet today. So it's a federal law versus state law issue. Right. And then when when states enact legislation, they will typically you know, well, they will always out of the gate, always, always, always go medical with a medical program first. You know, that's how they dip their toe in the water uh, with a medical program. They usually typically give it 12 or 24 months. They then go to adult use, which is also known as recreational use. And then that process kind of evolves, if you will. Um, well, I was just trying to pin down, because this is the reason I wanted to talk about it today. We thought yeah. that the SAFE Act, the uh, you know Marijuana Banking Act, was going to get put into sure. a defense bill and make it a lot easier for you guys to do business. Um, yeah. It got taken out. So I'm wondering, <laughs> when you look at just this, um, the skeleton of the marijuana business around North America, is it still you know, scary looking Greg Allman dudes with shotguns and pickup trucks that are growing nothing, it, or no, is it? No, 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 nothing, nothing near that. Nothing near that whatsoever. This is a real industry that's not going anywhere. This is a heavily politicized and polarized, um, you know, situation as it relates to the Safe Banking Act and, and, and a number of other nuances and really key elements to the industry being able to continue to grow successfully. Uh, in this country, no, this is that this is not the old school head shop approach, if you will, with uh, you know the cartel and uh, you know the the gangs and you know there certainly is still a black market out there without question. But no, this is a real deal professional industry that has uh, that has stabilized itself in many many ways. And we need safe banking to pass. So, it's a must. So, uh, and there's still, I think, some optimism. An analyst at Cowan said he thinks it's going to get done by the end of the year. When that happens, and you're running, uh, you know, uh, um, invest an investment office here, what do you like? If I look in, um, for example, the ETFs, I see Tilray is a huge uh, player, innovative industrial canopy sure. growth. What, what do you like out there? 
company wise? Is yeah. that what you're talking yeah, yeah. about? Yeah, company Kronos. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. You know, I, I, I founded a company called Grassroots Cannabis based out of Chicago. Uh, to date, we are either the number one or number two largest exit that has taken place in the cannabis industry. We sold our company July 23rd of 2020 to Cureleaf. At the time of that sale, we were the largest privately held cannabis company in the U.S. And including all the pubcos, you can only be public up in Canada right now. We are probably the third or fourth largest cannabis company in the country. Cureleaf, uh, who is the largest cannabis company in the world, they happen to be based in Wakefield, Massachusetts, but they have a, a very large Euro- European footprint as well. So, um, you know, came in and they acquired us. And so, w- here's what I here's what I see. I see the stronger you're going to survive in this in this industry, like a lot of industries. Yep. I think at the end, at the end of all of this, when we fast forward five years, ten years, fifteen years, I think what we're going to see is we are going to see companies like Cureleaf. Uh, GTI, Green Thumb Industries, you know, known as GTI, uh, Cresco. I think we'll see True Leave. I think we'll see Verano. I think we'll see, um, you know, I think we'll see, you know, maybe another couple out there. Right. We'll see somewhere. We'll see somewhere, guys, between five and ten of the big of the big boys and girls, if you will, that will be the industry leaders. I think there's going to be a significant drop off, and we call those. Tier one MSOs in 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 our world in yep. cannabis. I think when you drop down to the tier two and the tier three MSOs, a lot of those folks are going to be gobbled up over time. I think some will continue to survive and they'll be successful, um, but I think a lot of those will you know will be gobbled up over time as regulatory uh, hurdles are are you know continue to kind of you know unwrap if you will. You know, right yep. now we are all as large MSOs. Um, you know, we are we are stuck with certain regulation caps, if you will, on the numbers of licenses that we can have in a state. So, um, you know, once those once those things change, for example, and you can have more than for as in Illinois, you cannot have more than 10 dispensaries in the state of Illinois. Once that's lifted or that's modified, if you will, and you can flex up to 15 or 20 or 30 or unlimited, you're going to see a major, major push towards you know, consolidation of the large of the large companies, the large MSOs coming in and buying the smaller companies, in my opinion. All right, Josh, great to get. Thanks very much. Josh, Joseph there. Well, the investment banks were in the news this week. Goldman Sachs had their annual conference, financial services conference, all the big uh, so CEOs. So gloomy. I know. Exactly. It almost felt like a setup. Yeah, like they're talking recessions. They're talking laying off people, cutting bonus pools. It was a real downer. Uh, Shanali Basak was there. I put some of the blame on her. Was there? Me. She she like led the whole conference. I know she had some <laughs> awesome interviews. Uh, so we got Shanali Basak, uh, Bloomberg News uh, Wall Street reporter here in our studio, as well as uh, Allison Williams, senior banks analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. So Shanali, let's start with you. You were at the Goldman conference. Boy, the Bloomberg News stories, your interviews coming across the Bloomberg Television sounded kind of like a bummer. What was the tone there? You know, it's interesting. This is the 33rd year of the conference. It's not over. It's still on today. And I was told at the conference that every year is either like a super happy year or super gloomy gloomy one and this year was definitely gloomy um but is that so surprising most of the folks there are expecting a recession and every conversation was how to prepare for that and it seemed like every conversation was uh bank ceo 
telling his star performers to get ready for a crappy bonus. You know, all, on background, guys, something so interesting. I was wait, yeah. wait. This is live. Well, on background, two employees, other banks from me. <laughs> Off the record, yes. Off the record. Don't worry, nobody's listening. On live uh, radio. No, on background, a lot of other folks, rivals of Goldman Sachs, would tell me they were hoping that Solomon would be very negative. Why? Because set if he tone. set the bar yeah. low, it made it easier for everybody else to also do that. Yeah. So Alice, we, because when Paul goes to his manager, oh, um, you know, and says, I want to raise and the manager says, it's been a crappy year. I'm sorry. We're giving you a 20% cut. And he says, I'm going across the street. The manager says, hey, dude, did you hear Shanali Bassick's interview with David Solomon? <laughs> exactly. Don't go over there. Did you see Rich Handler's note? Don't go over there. So I sulk back to my, my desk and tail between my legs. Allison, you've got your 2023 outlooks out like most of the other Bloomberg intelligence analysts. What's your outlook for some of these big banks next year? I mean, we got rates rising. That's a good thing for net interest market. The markets can't be any worse than they were this year, I think. I mean, it's all about we have a recession, how deep is the recession, when the recession, right? I would say that um, you know, the banks are prepared, right? So I think that's the point that they were making is like, oh, there's a lot of negative, there's risks out there, but I have a question for Allison. Sure. Trading is up. <laughs> Trading is up, but not as much as fees are down. Yeah, and that's does does volatility still keep that trading headwind next year? I think it does. I mean, keep keep in mind, right? So macro trading is at record levels, right? Equity trading is down five percent from record levels. Investment banking, yes, down fifty percent from record levels. So going, but going into next year, right? If something's down fifty percent, it's half as important to your bottom right. line next year. And there will be some recovery. I think it's going to be all about for the fees. It's all going to be about one Q. What can they push out in the seasonally stronger quarter? I think there is some. You know, there's this term labor hoarding. I think they're banker hoarding, right? So <laughs> we've heard about cuts, but they're like very small cuts. And again after a scramble to add talent in 2021 they're hesitant to let them go and you have people like daniel pinto who's the head of uh, jp morgan cib saying you know we're going to cut comp but we're going to keep heads you know after all the work we did to get the people in place my suspicion here is that a few star traders are going to get higher bonuses still I mean, at the end of the day, there's they still... They have to, right? Are they totally. what? Where do they go to hedge funds? There's a ton of hedge funds still hiring. They go to hedge funds. And I mean, hedge funds, it's not a great year either. They have a lot of outflows, but macro hedge funds have had a, a, a pretty good year. Commodities, hedge funds. There's, I mean, there's always opportunities. The quants are back. Yeah. <laughs> Allison... and, if, and places like hedge funds yep. and, you know, these, uh, you know, boutiques, it's much more eat what you kill. And so if you are a star trader, there's big opportunity for you. What are the returns, Allison, in your investment banking world these days? I mean, when you and I were there, we were generating high teens, low 20s. Are those days because yes, of the... Those were the days of leverage. Yes. <laughs> but I would say that, you know, if you... So if we look at, like, sort of the, the, the ROE on um, the global investment banking units of, say, like, the top uh, 10 to 13 banks... You know, we hit like 15% last year, okay. ex excluding Archegos. That, you know, that yep. would be like 110 basis point hit. But, you know, that was the best we've seen since before the crisis. So that was pretty good. You know, this year, obviously, that's that's going to come down. But we think still double digit. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really what, you know, from the bank investor's standpoint, the, for next year, the bottom line is the profitability is still good because we had this, we had this huge revenue. We didn't hire that. We, you know, we hired, uh, but not nearly as much as, uh, you know, as much as the revenue grew up. So the profitability is something we haven't seen in a long time. Like, if they have to adjust some of their longer-term targets, J.P. Morgan said 17%, right? If they don't hit that next year, I think, you know, Crimea River, it's a, it's a recession, right? right. It's, it, that's fine. But if they start to have to say, okay, this is not something that we can hit at a more meaningful rate, then that's when you have questions about what businesses in the longer term are going to make the most sense into this new economy, right? Right. And I think, you know, with JP Morgan, the most interesting things is going to be what happens on the cost side. That's where we got the big surprise this past January, huge uptick in costs. You know, people are, you know, they sort of signaled like, look, this isn't going away anytime soon, but that was in the beginning of the year. So could those costs, could that guidance be a lever for next year in terms of... Especially with tech, tech talent is getting cheaper too. That's the reality also. That's a huge, huge, Mm -hmm. huge thing. Because that's where Wall Street, you know, had a big competitive challenge from young kids coming out of school. Even everybody was leaving Jane Street for FTX. (laughs) That's turned around. That's real. (laughs) <laughs> so, Shanali, what was the feeling at your at the Goldman Conference about just crypto, just generally the vibe? I, it was funny. I was on radio with, um, you know, uh, Alex and Guy, and I made this comment about how nobody in that room was going to cry a river about cryptocurrencies uh, falling off a cliff. And a very senior bank executive walks over to me and hears me say that and just starts laughing and <laughs> walks away. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're pretty thrilled because that talent war for them is gone. And another executive told me, Everyone that left their bank, Goldman Sachs, is now calling back again and saying, "What well, can I can I come back?" Which is, as <laughs> you know, not happens. a common practice for a lot of these banks. All right, Shanali Basic, thank you so much. We appreciate it, Shanali Basic. She's our Wall Street reporter. She was at the Goldman conference, uh, getting some great, great uh, interviews. Brian Moynihan, Mr. Solomon at Goldman. So some good, good stuff. We appreciate that. Allison Williams, as always. Uh, Bloomberg Intelligence, she's our senior banks analyst, covers everything, anything you want to know about the banks, uh, she knows that she's been doing this uh, for decades. We appreciate getting both of them here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before, like access to the trade desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Now let's get to Kevin Tynan right now. He is our automotive, uh, senior automotive analyst from Bloomberg Intelligence. He's somewhere in the armpit of America. Is he? In New Jersey. Oh, that's armpit. <laughs> that You keep playing that game. That's I'm just fine. messing with we you. We got enough people in New Jersey. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Kevin, um, what a ride for especially dealers, right? Um, last year was insane. Uh, in terms of inventory, they had troubles. In terms of pricing, it was off the charts. And then there were some stocks like Carvana, which were crazy. What was it trading at? Like three hundred and sixty dollars. Three hundred sixty dollars. And now um, an analyst is slashing it down to one dollar. Is this a? This is not an industry problem with Carvana, right? This is a, a company specific issue. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, I I think when you look at it fundamentally, and part of the problem amongst many other things with Carvana, is that they are used vehicle only, right? And, and one of the things I like about the retail automotive space is that a full-line legacy dealer can diversify its revenue and sort of hop to the hot business unit. So when new vehicle margin was gross margin was below 5%, you started to see a push towards the used vehicle market where that gross margin could be double. Um, And that's where legacy uh, dealerships would create private label, Carvana pops up, room shift, and all these other things. Uh, The problem is as that market shifts, uh, supply is constrained on the new side and gross margin goes to 12% on new vehicles. Carvana can't go anywhere, right? They're all, CarMax is a similar story, right? They're only doing used vehicles. So they have less flexibility to kind of go where the margin is. And I would also put parts and service in that as well, where legacy dealers can do that business where Carvana and CarMax are beholden only to the used vehicle market. Kevin, are the U.S. automakers, are they producing as many cars as they want to? Uh, Is the supply chain cleaned up? Do they have enough labor? Are they producing where they want to produce in terms of volume? Yeah, I I think so. We're getting back there. I I just looked at uh, the December 1st inventory levels in the U.S., and it was about 1.7 million uh, units. And that's about double, right? At the bottom, it was under a million. At the peak, it was over four million. So obviously, we're not anywhere near oversupplied in historical terms. Um, but but that kind of inventory level, like a 1.7 million, if you think about it, the the industry will average about one to 1.5 million unit tr- transactions per month. So we're kind of appropriate supplied. Uh, you want to be a little bit above 30. 40, 50 days supply, we're getting back to that. But you don't want to be where we were, which was 80, 90, 100 days. But you also don't want to be um, looking at lots that are all completely full and having buyers come in and, um, you know, try and get five or $10,000 off the price. Are we going to ever get back to that? Um, well, ever is a long time, but... <laughs> are I, we going to get back to that in the next couple of years, Kevin? No, I don't, I don't think so. And And look... It's just, it's bad for everybody, right? It's bad for the manufacturers. It's bad for the dealerships that carrying costs. Um, so I, I think that the not, it, it's not 
random, right? It's not just the way the market moves and the dealers and the manufacturers are just stuck in this loop of oversupply. They control the output. Um, the manufacturers do, and then the dealers can only sell what they're given. And I think everybody has seen the light in terms of price and margin in this environment and said this is actually a pretty good place to be. I think we're in that window where we're tweaking it a little bit. Let's get a couple more units on the ground and not lose sales. Um, but we certainly don't want to go back to 4 million units on the ground. All right. I got to talk to you about something that kind of grinds my gears. Oh, using a good metaphor. Uh we have a situation with some car makers. Uh, Mercedes is one. Volvo is another. BMW, infamously another, where they're making people pay for over-the-air updates to access features that are already in the car. For example, BMW wants you to subscribe to heated seats. What? Yeah, so your seats, Didn't you buy the car it? from them, right? Your seats have heating capability, but unless you give them $8 a month or something, they won't let you turn it on through over-the-air software updates. Now, recently, I saw a situation where um, Mercedes was doing the same thing with horsepower. They're, they're going to sell you a car that has, I don't know the exact numbers, but like 300 horsepower. And if you want 400 horsepower, you need to be giving them like $1,000 a year. Or Volvo um, is doing the same thing, although fortunately, at least they're doing it as a one-time charge. This is a horrible new frontier, Kevin. It is, and, and think about what that would do to the used vehicle market, right? What are you actually buying? Is, is every vehicle wiped clean when you see it on the lot? So essentially, you have to menu up your vehicle if you're buying pre-owned also. So I, it's a strange thing. You know, and then think about how, how are you um, buying wholesale vehicles? Like, is everything go back to a base vehicle when it changes hands and then the and and as a consumer do my heated seats that i paid bmw for come with me to my next one or <laughs> you know it's it's a strange thing and i i i've yet to believe that it can actually work over the long term all right and that your industry continues to go under tremendous change kevin tyden senior autos analyst with bloomberg intelligence with some great stuff uh there all right so I want to talk technology because, you know, when you came out of the last quarter's earnings, to me, it felt like there are a lot of disappointments around the tech space. And I'm wondering if the tech sector has lost its leadership role in this market. I want to talk Apple, Amazon, Google, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to roundtable this thing, folks. Mark German, he's a reporter. Uh, he covers Apple. He covers all this consumer tech and hardware. He's at in our San Francisco office. Usually, sometimes I find him in the desert doing stuff. I don't know what's going on there with rockets and stuff. Um, and then also, Anurag Rana, he is our uh, senior technology uh, analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Um, so, Mark, I want to start with you because there's a lot of news out on Apple here today. I'm not, I don't get this fully autonomous car thing from the get-go, but Apple seemed to throw its hat in the ring there a while back. But are they kind of pulling back from that here? And if so, why? They're pulling back initially. So Tim Cook gets asked this all the time when Apple comes out with a new product. What took you so long, right? <laughs> Other companies have had phones, watches, set-top boxes, etc., tablets forever, and now you guys are doing that. What's the difference? What he likes to say, and what is, in my opinion, absolutely true, is the, we want it to be the best, not the first. We wanted to do things a little bit differently, right? So the iPhone wasn't the first smartphone, but there was nothing like it before. You can say the same about the iPod, the MP3 player, the Apple Watch, the smartwatch, uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so they wanted to come at the car with the same approach. And they, along with every other car manufacturer, decided that the real holy grail, the real differentiator for how you can make a car different than anything that's come before it is level five full self-driving. Tell the car where you want to go. It gets you there. No issue. Right. That is just not possible. It's not feasible. And it's probably not going to be feasible for 20, 30 years, if not even in our lifetime. So in order to get something on the road this decade, because that is going to be a hot area, they needed to pair back. And so what they're doing is they're moving to a level four design, which means they're scrapping their vision of no steering wheel and no pedals. They're going to have those key parts of the car, as we all know, and it's only going to have self-driving functionality in places like highways and freeways. So that is a major shift, and they're really going to have to compete on battery technology, on industrial design, on software, and other features that you might want in a car in the future. And handling. You know, one of the things I love about my iPhone is how it handles. And I want a car that handles just as well. So, I mean, who are they going to work with? Is it a Porsche or is it a Kia? That's funny. Yes, I definitely want an Apple car that uh, will get me wherever I want to go at a, as fast as I can, right? I'll always take uh, a need for speed type of, uh, <laughs> of car. I think it's going to be something closer to a Porsche. I think it's something that's probably going to cost around 100000 per unit. This is going to be a consumer car. It's probably going to be in the same territory as a baseline Tesla uh, Model S. Originally, they were going to go for a higher price point. That would put it in the Porsche Taycan range, selling on the higher-end Taycans in the north of 150000 U.S., but now they're downscaling. Uh, there had been rumors about them doing something more on the Kia spectrum, even working with Hyundai and Kia. I'm told those rumors were never true, and they were probably floated uh, by those companies in Asia. There's been some accusations that I heard about trying to, you know, inflate their stock prices. But who really knows? The truth of the matter is it'll be something closer to a Model S. I think it will probably do incredibly well. And I'm sure you'll ask Onrog this, but the quickest way for Apple to sort of triple its revenues over time is to come out with a $100,000 product, right? So yeah, that's exactly. the way that they're going to inflate their own revenue. Anurag, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, let's hope they don't come up with a $30,000 model because you can't make any money off of it. You know, in my view, you don't want to go down the, you know, the price point. They will go out for whatever product they go out at, at a, you know, 35, 40% gross margin. That's the style Apple goes. It doesn't care about market share from a revenue point of view. It cared about gross profit margins. And I'm, you know, very optimistic. That's what they are focusing on and they don't, you know, cheapen the car. So, Anurag, just across the, the tech space, I mean, it's the rose, the, the bloom kind of came off the rose a little bit for me at least, and I'm wondering if it's true for the market. After the last quarter's earnings, we had some disappointments, some cautious outlooks. As you talk to institutional investors, kind of what's the, the feeling out there about tech in general? So, I think, Paul, in, in all honesty, I think the sell side truly forgot what a recession or slowdown looks like. If I look at the top 20 software company, they have been growing sales at the rate of 20% per year for the past six years. So, you know, there has to be a time when, when the economic activity slows down that people will pull back on tech spending. And I don't think anybody remembers 08, 09. And I think this is the time that they are coming back to the realization that everything slows down in a downturn. And I think, frankly speaking, at this point, I see numbers for next year. I feel a little bit happier than I did prior to the last quarter. 
But if we get into a deep recession, um, I mean, probably the first thing that people do when they tighten their belts is not buy a new iPhone, right? I mean, you only buy one when you absolutely have to, if you can't or you're like, I don't know, justify he, gets, the he always buys the newest model. He always buys the newest yeah. model because he has a great job with a great company. But if he <laughs> loses his job, he's probably not going to. Um, no, absolutely right. No, yeah. no, you have it right. I mean, see, from an enterprise point of view, it's the same argument that you make. But frankly speaking, one of the things you also have to think about is the technologies that you're spending with Microsoft, with Google, with the likes of I think, Salesforce or Workday or Shopify, these companies are critical to making your company go digital. It's not as if this is, these are you know, an ad hoc product that you get just because you know, it's a shiny new object. And what we think is going to happen, you know, we saw that AWS very clearly during the pandemic, growth slowed down because the sectors that operate with them slowed down. But the year after that, we saw a massive bounce back because digital spending has to be done. You have to go digital. It's, it's not something, it, it's not a fashion. It, it's something that's required for you to do. So we think if we think slow down in 2023, we think a massive bounce back in 2024. Hey, Mark, you're based in, in LA. Um, no, San Francisco. I thought he's in L.A. Mark, LA. yeah, you're LA. in L.A. Oh, yeah. So that changes my entire vision of Mark Gurman. Uh, well, he's just he's I miss Mr. California in general. I mean, what's the feeling? There a lot you of go. your companies that you cover, Mark, a lot of the consumer technology companies, they've been laying some people off here. Is, is it is it a thing? Wow, it's definitely a thing. Uh, who would have ever thought that Amazon and Meta would yeah. start cutting north of five, seven, ten thousand uh, people, right? What, when you'll know the economy is really in the, in, in the trash is if Apple starts cutting people. To date, they have not started cutting people. They're not hiring, which is a really, really big deal. There's a complete pause there, uh, but they're not firing or laying off anyone. All right, Mark, good stuff. Mark Gurman, uh, he is our consumer tech uh, uh, reporter out there in L.A. covering all that cool consumer tech stuff. Uh, big, big focus on Apple because why not? It's a huge company. And Anurag Rana, he's our senior technology analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, kind of roundtabling and talking about tech. You know, it's it been such a leader in this market for such a long period of time. Um, but as Anurag suggested, um, they're impacted by the headwinds of a recession as well. Maybe not as much as other industries, but certainly there is an impact. And kind of where we're seeing it is uh, – in the headcount, uh, seeing a lot of uh, headcount being let go in technology. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.